Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 29, beginning in verse 16. And let's make some noise right now for everybody watching online and in overflow today. Come on, somebody, make some noise. Welcome to Vision Church. We're on the cusp of Uptown, South End, and Westover Hills. I want to encourage you to share the broadcast. Let us know where you're watching from. Last week, people were watching from all over the world. And uh, today uh, is no different. Overflow is full this morning and they're in the lobby today. So those of you watching out there, thank you for being with us. We love you and thank you for being a part of Vision Church. Today we're continuing our series called Relationship Goals. And last week we looked at uh, a biblical couple, but today we're gonna look at Jacob and Rachel and their relationship. And we're gonna learn from their mistakes. How many of you know smart people learn from other people's mistakes? And that's what we're gonna do today. Genesis 29 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but just a few days. Verse 21, finally the time came for him to marry her. I have fully, I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. I don't recommend you saying that to your father-in-law. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked for seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over and then we'll give you Rachel too, provided that you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. And a week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Pray with me now all over this place. Father, we love you. We are grateful for your word. Today we approach you with humble expectation, believing that your word is inspired and can transform our life. We recognize today that the truth is not always pleasant, but it is the only thing that has the power to set us free. So today I pray that you would break the bondage of sin and addiction. And I pray, Lord, that you would move mightily in this place. Touch every heart and every life. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So just to recap the story a little bit, Jacob is now in search of a wife 
And he goes to a village where Laban and his daughters, Leah and Rachel lived. As he got there that afternoon, he noticed a beautiful woman coming his way and it was Rachel. The Bible says that when he saw Rachel for the first time, he ran up to her, kissed her in the face and then ugly cried in public. That's Genesis 29. Gentlemen, I do not recommend that approach. But somehow it worked out for Jacob. And long story short, he's introduced to Rachel's father, Laban, and he agrees to work for seven years to earn his daughter's hand in marriage. As he vigorously works through manual labor, managing the household of Laban, he finally reaches that end of the term. The wedding day has arrived. And at night, at the last second in the midnight hour, Laban switches the daughter and Leah goes to marry Jacob and not Rachel. He wakes up in the next morning, you talk about a surprise. That is not how you wanna start your honeymoon. Can I get a witness, right? But that is what happened. We've had many people ask, well, how did Jacob not realize that that was Leah and not Rachel? And I would say that's a good question. Historians have said though, that during a Jewish wedding at this time, the bride would be veiled and that they would only remove the veil once she made it into the bridal chamber, AKA the bedroom, and it was dark. Still though, I think he should have been able to tell by the sound of her voice, okay? I don't know, that's neither here nor there, but that's what happened. So over the next few moments, we're gonna extract powerful, life-changing lessons out of their relationship story. The first thing I wanna draw your attention to is she is worth the wait. Look at your neighbor with some attitude. Tell them she's worth the wait. She's worth the wait. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The first virtue assigned to love is patience. As God through the apostle Paul describes love, he could have used any adjective in the universe, yet he begins his description of love with the word patience. True love is patient. Jacob got a lot of things wrong in his life, but he got this one right. He recognized that she was worth the wait. She was worth waiting for. And for seven years, he served her father diligently just to earn her hand in marriage. Now, I wanna just bring this to life a little bit more for you because sometimes we read this and we're like, okay, well, Jacob was probably dating her for the whole seven years. And all the men who are afraid of commitment are like, I love this sermon right now. Let's just slow down, be patient. We'll wait, we don't have to get married. Let's just slow this down. Tough crowd, okay. <laughs> I guess none of you think that. All right, but in actuality, historians show us that Jacob was not dating Rachel during the seven years. Culture put barriers between single men and single women for obvious reasons. 
But to get a little more graphic and to provide a little more, more historical context, in the ancient world, if you had sex with someone, that consummated the marriage. So if they had had sex before they were married, congratulations, that's your husband, that's your wife. Anybody glad you don't live in the Old Testament today? Can I, everybody's afraid to, okay. All right, just be glad it doesn't work that way today. The truth is a godly man and a godly woman is worth the wait. They're truly worth the wait. They're precious. They're far and few between. In a world today where everybody says they're a Christian, people that actually are born again and are devoted to him are far and few between. A lot of people will tell you they're a Christian, but you should watch the fruit that comes from their life. Jesus warned that many will call me Lord, Lord on the day of judgment. He'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, because you honored me with your lips, but your heart was far from me. You said you loved me, but with your actions, you denied me. And Jesus said, I'll know those who really love me by those who obey me and keep my commandments. The right person is worth the wait. Now I can feel some of you tensing up right now and you're like, well, my, my clock is ticking and everybody in my friend group is already married and like, I'm like the awkward third wheel all the time. I've been a bridesmaid 13 times and I'm still waiting for a ring, right? Again, tough crowd. The other services laughed. I, I test my jokes on the earlier services so I know they work, okay? <laughs> People online are laughing, surely they are, okay. But the truth is, we feel like time is lost and we're missing out. We have FOMO. We're like, we gotta, we gotta get married quickly. But I wanna warn you, the right person is worth waiting for and we serve a God who can restore lost time. Joel chapter two tells us that he is the God that restores the years that the enemy has stolen. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God who can restore lost time. He can restore lost years. And you might be, you might be later in life when you get married, but you might have more fun in three years than they had in 13 because God's going to restore the years in your life. Be faithful and be patient. God is at work. But I do want to warn you that just before God will bring the right person into your life, often the enemy will send you the wrong one right before God is about to bring you the right one. Oh, this is the truth, church. I'm preaching. And this applies more than just to your relationship. This applies to business, your ministry. Right before the enemy will present you a good option, right before God's great option. He'll do it. You can ask my wife, Christina. The guys before me, they were messed up losers. <laughs> she almost married one of them, she said. I told her, I said, aren't you glad you dodged the bullet? She said, I'll wait and find out. I'll let you know. <laughs> no, just kidding, just we love each other. We do. Um, but it's true. Right before God brings the right person into your life, the enemy will often tempt you with the wrong ones. I, when I first met Christina, like all these people started coming out of the woodworks and I'm like, oh, who are you? What is going on? And it's true. The enemy will often present the wrong one right before God gives you 
the right one. So be faithful and be patient and realize that the right person is worth waiting for. Do you know how you can distinguish the right one from the wrong one? I'm gonna help you right now. This is powerful. The wrong one will cause you to compromise your faith, your morals, and your God-given purpose. The right one that comes from God will accelerate your purpose, will encourage you to be closer to Jesus, not draw you further away from him. The one that the enemy sends is the one that comes to cause you to compromise. If you're in a relationship right now and the only way it's held together is through compromise, you're compromising your faith, you're compromising your values, your morals for the sake of another person, that is a red flag. That is not the person God sent into your life. Listen, nobody's perfect. I'm not, you're not, nobody you're gonna marry in the future is. But the right person will not cause you to compromise your faith or your values. They will draw you closer to Jesus, not pull you further away from him. And the number one reason people compromise in the area of relationships is we are impatient. We want it right now. And listen to me, if the enemy cannot stop you, he will hurry you. That's how he works. If, the, if Satan can't stop you or hinder you in your progress, he will hurry you to get ahead of yourself and to get ahead of God's plan. You don't believe me? Then just go back and think of Abraham and Sarah who had this great promise that they would have children and they would have a legacy and a heritage and their descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens. And Abraham knew he had a promise from God, but they grew impatient and they tried to hurry along God's promise and they gave birth to Ishmael through Sarah's servant Hagar and the world is still suffering in chaos ever since. Trust the Lord. He is worth the wait. She is worth the wait. Do not grow impatient and jump at the wrong person. I also want to illustrate and expose the enemy's tactic really quickly. In Matthew chapter four, we see that Satan attempted to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came to Jesus and he tempted him with loaves of bread. He said, hey, you're hungry, you've been fasting for 40 days. You see these rocks? Why don't you turn them into bread? Probably like Chick-fil-A minis. And he's like, turn that into bread and that'll nourish your body. And the irony here is that Satan tempted Jesus with something that already was rightfully his. You see, Jesus is the Lord of Lords. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He possesses the earth and everything in it, the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He doesn't have to bow to Satan to get what already belongs to him. Fast forward, Satan then tempts him. He takes him to a high mountain where they overlook the kingdoms of the earth and all of their glory and splendor. And Satan says to Jesus, if you will just bow to me, all of the nations, they will worship you right now. Again, he's tempting Jesus with something that is already his. Jesus is the king of kings, the Lord of all lords, the triumphant, transcendent God eternal. The truth is Satan still tempts us with things that God have, has already promised you. You don't have to compromise or bow to Satan to get it. A sexual relationship, an emotional companion, 
All of these things that you long for in your life, they are promised to you and afforded to you by God in the covenant of marriage. You don't have to bow to Satan to get it. You don't have to compromise in order to get what is rightfully yours. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. The next thing, now I'm going to offend everybody. All right, so if you're not offended yet, just look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. (laughs) Sex outside of marriage is sin. And it is not God's plan for you. If you are not married and you're having sex with someone that is sin, and if you are married and you're having sex with someone that you're not married to, that also is sin. And somebody just has to tell you that. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. The Lord does not call it sin to be cruel and punish you. He calls it sin because he wants you to see the fullness of life is found in a committed relationship, a marriage He's not coming to keep you from living your best life. He's coming to show you how life in its abundance is meant to be lived. And the truth is, you do not want to start a relationship with its foundation being lust. You want your relationship to be on the foundation of love, sacrifice, devotion, commitment, and God's word. You can either build on the sand or you can build on the rock. God will let you do it. But when the waves come crashing in, Don't blame God for what you've done in disobedience to his word. God will let you do it if you want to do it, but his way is better. Anybody believe God's way is better today? Anybody in the house bear witness that God's way is better? I've had some people tell me, but preacher, this is old thinking. This is archaic, antiquated, and I don't like it. God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And in holiness, you find joy everlasting. In joy, you find peace that surpasses understanding. In holiness, in sanctification, following Jesus, there your heart finds contentment. And all the while you thought the Bible was about you being happy. No, you are not the center of the Bible. This is not about you. It's not about me. Our life is not about us. We were created to bring him glory and to bring him praise. We live for him, not ourselves. Church, just take a minute and look around you at the world around you. The world that's all about self-gratification, self-fulfillment, living as they're the center of the universe. They're the most miserable, void, spiritually bankrupt people on planet earth, yet they're the ones telling us how to live our best life. Thanks, no thanks. You can keep that to yourself. God's way is better. It's truly better. God wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to follow him more than us being happy. Joy is found in sacrifice, in devotion, and following the Lord Jesus. Another one here that's a real dandy is uh, living together before you're married is not God's plan for your life. You're like, I hate this church. (laughs) 
Well, we're not sleeping together. Okay, who are you trying to convince? First Thessalonians 5.22 says this, abstain from all appearances of evil. In other words, avoid even the appearance of evil. You maybe are in separate bedrooms. Maybe you're not really sleeping together, but scripture calls you to a higher standard than the world. And he says, even avoid the appearance of evil. You say, well, that's inconvenient. You don't know how expensive rent is in Charlotte. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, no, I'm serious. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow after me. Is the cross convenient? No, I'm serious. Here's the thing. And the reason I'm coming up against this is because, and listen, the reason I'm coming up against this is sexuality is the idol of America. And we got people that say they love Jesus and say they follow Jesus until it comes to the topic of sex. And then they're like, well, you know, I agree with everything else but that. People will even try to tell me, well, you know, Jesus didn't talk about sex. Okay, homie, hold up. Jesus said of the Old Testament, the whole thing speaks of him. He is the word fulfilled, embodied. He preached from the Old Testament as the authoritative word of the living God. Don't tell me Jesus didn't talk about sexual sin. Yes, he did. He affirmed the Old Testament scripture as God's inspired word. Listen, I'm not here to condemn you today. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You can't do anything about yesterday, but you can start new today. In Jesus Christ, former things pass away. All things become new. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. His way is better. His plan for you is greater. So I wonder, what do you love more? Sex, convenience, or Jesus? Jesus said, I'll know those who love me by those who keep my commandments. It's easy to talk a big game. So oh yeah, I love the Lord. But then what, what does your life say? If we played your life on the big screen and it was muted, we couldn't hear you say, I love Jesus. We just watched the decisions you make. What would your decisions, what would your actions, what would your life say about what you really believe? Because we don't really have a sin problem. We have a belief problem. The reason we sin is because we don't believe God's word. All right, moving on to the next point. Somebody said amen. <laughs> you marry more than the person. Look at your neighbor say, you marry more than the person. You marry their family because they never leave. Some of you are like, darn it. <laughs> Jacob literally married Rachel's family. Too much. But he did. Okay. I bring this point up because instead of complaining about the in-laws and complaining about his family, her family, uh, how about this? Scripture says that we should honor our father and mother. Honor them. Honoring your parents does not mean that you, if you're a mature adult over the years, age of 18 years old, you don't live at home. You are not obligated to obey everything they tell you to do, but you are commanded by Scripture to honor and respect them. I love my parents. They're usually right, but not always. But even when they're not, it's still my responsibility to honor them. 
And you can respectfully disagree with them and honor them and show them respect. The truth is you will never win over your in-laws or her family or his family by being bitter, negative, critical, and complaining. When have you ever heard somebody's testimony be like, well, you know, they just were so mean to me that they finally wore me down. And I was like, you know, I'm coming to Jesus. No. (laughs) Scripture says it was our kindness, his kindness that draws us to repentance. So live in harmony, live in peace. Live in unity and honor and respect them. And even if you don't think they deserve honor or respect in your eyes, honor them because Jesus called us to honor them. But you marry more than just the person, and I'm not just talking about the family. You also marry their hangups, their addictions, their problems. And by the way, no one is perfect, not even you. But you always marry more than the person. That lust problem, that drug addiction, that alcohol abuse, you, may, you bring that into the marriage. It's baggage that comes with you. It's amazing that in the dating stage, you're like, mom, he is amazing. He smells nice. He opens my car door. It's like when you're dating, you can do nothing wrong. And then you get married and you realize you can't do anything right. <laughs> Husbands, where yet? You, you know it's true, but be careful. <laughs> She's sitting here. Okay, be careful. (laughs) It's true though, right? It's true. In the dating phase, it's like we're enamored, right? It's like, oh my gosh, we're infatuated. They do everything right. But the truth is we see red flags even in the dating stage, but we don't want to see them. And I would caution you that when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And realize this, you're not going to change her. You're not going to change him. I hear people say, well, you know, I know that, you know, they've been cheating and stuff now, but we're just dating, you know, but when we get married, he'll be faithful. No, he won't. No, he will not. Marriage doesn't change you. It exposes you. And I I hear people say this. They're like, by the way, you can't, you can't change him, but Jesus can. I hear people say this. Well, you know, like she's really beautiful. And she doesn't know the Lord, but I feel like the Lord is calling me to lead her to Jesus. Okay, no. Okay. Say no to missionary dating. All right? We got a whole bunch of missionaries that we support from this church. We ain't paying any of them to date on the job. Oh, I can change him. No, you're not going to change him. Jesus changes him. And he's going to do it while they're in the friend zone. Hey, I got some sisters that you could talk to. Ladies reach ladies, men reach men. Just that's God's plan. Do it that way. This thing of I'm going to change him. Listen, in the, you say, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. The people on YouTube, they go nuts on this point. They hate it. All right. But listen, here's the thing. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live apart from Christ. Samson was the strongest man to ever walk the earth. And the Lord told both Solomon and Samson, don't you be marrying an unbelieving woman because she's going to lead you astray. And what did they do? They didn't listen and they fell. Their life became a dumpster fire of dysfunction and their life, they became idolaters and they turned from the living God. So if the strongest man and the wisest man fell victim to an unbelieving woman, who do you think you are that you're going to stand? 
<laughs> You're like, I hate this church. <laughs> the Lord, is, it is his word. Again, like you don't, you are incompatible. You don't see the world the same way. She doesn't see raising children, spending money, serving God. They don't even see the world through the same lens as you do. They don't. And yes, God wants to save them, but he's going to use other means than you dating her to Christ. That doesn't happen. So stop it. And by the way, these sins, the addictions, the lust, the pornography, the thing that you think will change when you get married, you, you think, well, you know, I know I'm doing it now, but when I get married, that'll go away. You know, I know I'm drinking too much right now, but when I get married, like she'll hold me accountable and that'll stop. No, it won't. You'll bring that right into your marriage. You've got to face these demons in your life right here and right now. David, the psalmist, a man after God's own heart, he refused. Yes, he loved the Lord, but he also loved lust. He loved women. And his unconquered lust ultimately conquered him and his children and his children's children. Because what you refuse to face, your family and your children may. Listen, you're no match for sin. You're no match for the addiction. But greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And, the say, and he is the one who can set the captive free. He who the son sets free is free indeed. You must bring it to the altar. Lay it there. Let it die. Relinquish control. Rely on the Holy Spirit to change your desires, to change your heart, and to empower you to walk in a way that is pleasing to God Almighty. Either Listen, either this is true or it isn't. And I'm here today to tell you I'm living proof that God can change the desires of the human heart. The gospel works. God changes lives. He can change yours. But you've got to surrender it to him and rely on his spirit to change your heart and desires. If you don't conquer it, it will eventually conquer you. Single people, this is cliche, but it's true. Focus on becoming the one instead of finding the one. So many people are like scrolling till they find the bottom of Instagram looking for the next woman. Look, look, instead of spending your time with all that stuff in pursuit, why don't you spend some time on your face before your creator and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, change me, Lord, transform me, take this out of my mouth, help me to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Become the one and God will bring the one. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and he will supply your every need. This is the word of the Lord. Moving on, scripture tells us that beauty fades. Look at your neighbor, say beauty fades. Scripture says that Leah, she didn't have a glimmer in her eye, but Rachel did. <laughs> well, the Bible said it. I'm just quoting that. So in all honesty, this is really important. And I just want to speak to this really quickly. The world tries to tell you what beauty is, but the world is utterly unqualified to speak to beauty. Ladies, you see Photoshop people and all these images online, and this is what the world promotes and celebrates as beauty. But I just want to expose the enemy for a minute and let you know that beauty is not in the eye of the beholder. It's in the eye of the creator. Only God can determine what is beautiful. And you were made wonderfully and fearfully in his image and likeness. 
And when you criticize your appearance, you criticize yourself, you are criticizing the work of a perfect creator. Beauty, don't let the world, the world doesn't know what they're talking about. If you haven't figured this out, everything they say, the opposite is true. When are you gonna figure it out? Scripture says the way that leads to destruction is broad and wide and many there be that go at it, but the way that leads to life is straight and narrow and few there be that find it. If you follow Jesus, you're gonna walk in the opposite countercultural direction of the world and the world's gonna hate you for it. They're gonna call you weird, different, label you a hater, everything they wanna label you. Follow Jesus anyway. The world is perishing. Don't follow them or accommodate them or allow their customs to come into your life. Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Proverbs 31:30: charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Prioritize character over beauty because beauty truly will fade. I'm getting old. My face is swelling. My hair's falling out. God help me. You got, that's funny and you know it. Um, your relationship cannot be built on the physical qualities alone. You have got to build more connections, develop common interests. You've got to develop a, a spiritual dynamic to your relationship. You've got to connect not only physically, but relationally, spiritually, emotionally. There have to be more connections than just the physical. The physical is fleeting. It is failing. It's perishing. I know you think she's hot. I know you think he's fine. But what kind of father is he going to be to your children one day? What kind of mother is she going to be to your future babies? You, gotta th you, gotta, you can't live for the moment. You got to live for eternity. 1 Samuel 16 tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God does not see things the way you see them. We should value character above the physical. Now, listen, I'm not saying that the physical isn't important. You should be attracted to the person that you're in love with. You should be. But it should not be the most important thing. You feel me? Put it in its proper place. Moving on, almost done today. Relationships are hard work. Tell your neighbor they're hard work. I know when you were seven and you were watching Disney and you saw like Aladdin on that carpet and stuff, you thought it was going to be easy and just happily ever after. Wrong relationships require work. And let me tell you a secret about the material universe, the world. The world and everything in it defaults to chaos. If you don't work it, if you don't maintain it, if you don't invest in it, it digresses into dysfunction. The world. Okay, you don't believe me. Try not mowing your yard for like three months. I actually can talk to you from experience. I, uh, I was from West Virginia. Growing up, my dad was like, hey, you're gonna mow all the neighbor's yards. This is true. He would go down to like these little old ladies at the corner. He'd be like, hey, do you have anybody to mow your yard? They'd be like, no. He's like, perfect, my son will do it for free. I'm like, dad, what is going on here? I had five yards. And then when I moved to Charlotte, I made up my mind. I was like, I am not gonna own a lawnmower. A weed eater, get behind me, Satan. And I bought a townhouse. It was my first house. I bought a townhouse because I thought you don't have to maintain it. I was wrong. Okay. Because in the backyard, there was like a little bit of grass. And I was just like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not, I don't care about that. And so I just let it go. 
And after a while, one day I looked out and it looked like a jungle and there were like living creatures out there. I was like, okay, this has gotten out of control. The point that I'm making is life defaults to chaos, to dysfunction. Don't check your email. And you'll have 13,827 unread messages. How many of you does that drive you crazy? Okay, y'all pray for me because it doesn't bother me. And that's why you haven't heard back from me. All right, so I'm just, it's confession. All right, confess. The point, that's true. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that if you don't work at it and you don't maintain it and you don't invest in it, it's gonna default to chaos. And the same is true in your marriage, in your relationship. You cannot put it on autopilot. You gotta work at this thing. Jacob worked for 14 years for Rachel. Scripture is showing you through typology, through his life, that relationships require work and investment. I had a person tell me one time, they'd been married for roughly 15 years, and they said, we're going to get a divorce. And I was like, well, why? And they said, well, we fell out of love. You heard that before? The world says, well, we fell out of love. No, you didn't. You stopped working at it. You stopped investing. You stopped dating her. You stopped pursuing her. You stopped investing in him. You don't fall out of love. That's a myth. Love is not a feeling. It's a decision. The Bible teaches you from Genesis to Revelation that love is not an emotion. It's a choice. It's a decision. If you get anything out of this sermon, I pray you get that right there because that can change your life. Because you know what the emotional seed of your life is? It's your heart. And scripture says that your heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. If you follow your heart, it will lead you into destruction. That's what, it, let me show you what has happened with so many marriages. People started the right way in a marriage and then after a few years, the fire burns out. They fall out of love because they don't feel any emotional butterflies anymore. So then they start pursuing a new relationship with somebody at work and oh, that feels exciting at the beginning and they're all excited and they're like, well, yeah, maybe I married the wrong person. Like Pastor T was talking about, the devil sent the wrong one before the right one. So maybe I'm, so I'm gonna go over here and maybe this was the right one all along. And then things are just so hot and passionate and exciting. And then, and then after a while, you're with them long enough to realize that that fire dies too. So then you say, well, no, she was probably the wrong one because I cheated on her with her. So I'm gonna go to another one you repeat the cycle over and over and over again, all because you believe the lie that love is a feeling, that love is an, an emotion, that we just weren't compatible enough. Church, love is a decision. It's a choice. You didn't fall out of love. You just stopped working it. You stopped investing. But here's the good news. You can't do anything about the past but you can do something about the future. And your marriage, your relationship might not be where you want it to be today, but you can start to work it again. You can pursue her again. You can pursue him again. You can date and love and grow together again. Anybody believe what I'm saying today? It's a decision. As for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Scripture says, choose you this day who you're gonna serve. All the way back in the garden, it was a choice. It's always been, and it always will be. In closing today, we reap what we sow. When I first read this account of Jacob's life and he worked seven years for Rachel and then Laban swapped her with Leah at the last second, I used to feel bad for Jacob. 
Anybody else, you ever read this and you're like, man, poor guy? Okay, I know what the next series is gonna be on, mercy and compassion. Because <laughs> y'all don't even care, you don't even feel bad for Jacob. Man. <laughs> when I first read it, I felt bad for Jacob. I'm like, this poor dude, he worked seven years, going for Rachel, then now he wakes up with Leah. Until I remembered, Jacob was the original deceiver. You remember what he did to his daddy? He went to his dad and said, hey, Isaac, hey, uh, he presented himself as Esau. The younger brother presented himself as the older to steal his birthright and inheritance. Deceivers ultimately get deceived. You reap what you sow. Be careful that you don't deceive your spouse. Be careful that you don't lie. Be careful that you're not unfaithful. Be careful because what you sow, you'll reap. Now, God will forgive you. Yes, he will. But there are still earthly consequences for your actions. If we sow the flesh of the flesh, we will reap corruption. But if we sow the spirit of the spirit, we reap life. But I'm going to end with good news. John chapter four, verse 38. These are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you will enter into their labors. Jesus right here in John four appears to teach the exact opposite of what I just told you. Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, there's coming a time where you will reap what you did not sow. You will earn and gather a harvest that you did not plant. In other words, he's speaking of the gospel and his sacrificial death on the cross. What he's saying to them and he's saying to you today is that the reality is we all deserve the wrath of God and the judgment of God. We all of the flesh have sown and we deserve hell, we deserve judgment, and we deserve the wrath of the living God on our life for the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But because of faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, we, by faith, will reap a blessing, a reward that we did not sow, that we did not earn, that we could not achieve. By faith, through grace, you have been saved and made right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Can we just give him praise one more time today like we're thankful? We love you, Lord. We praise you. We deserve death. We deserve hell and we deserve God's wrath. But while we were dead in sin, lost in our trespasses, God was rich in mercy towards us and he gave his only son to redeem the world. If you're in this room today, I want you to pray with me. If you're not right with God, if you're not sure what he will say to you on that day of judgment, make no mistake about it. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You're not promised another day, another heartbeat, another breath. You, as sure as I stand before you today, you will stand before the living God. You'll stand before him alone. Not with your mom, not with your dad, not with your pastor or husband. You'll stand alone. And you'll give an account for your life. And on that day, you will either stand condemned and guilty of your every sin, or he will see you hidden in his son, Jesus Christ, innocent spotless, blameless, forgiven by faith. There is power in the cross. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And there is only one way to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ alone. 
said it's narrow-minded. No, Muhammad didn't die for you. Buddha didn't die for you. And even if they had, they were sinners. Only one was sinless, born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, performed the miraculous, caused the blind eyes to open, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. He laid down his life and on the third day was risen from the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. His tomb is empty. No other... No other person in human history more significant than Jesus Christ. His life so significant, it split the spheres of time, BC from AD. You must decide today, who is Jesus to you? He's either the greatest liar, heretic, and manipulator and deceiver the world has ever known, or he is precisely who he claimed to be, the son of the living God, Messiah, Savior, Redeemer. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com, or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.